Oh God, we do need that gospel 24-7. It's the best news there is in the universe. We who have gone astray, you've taken all our sins. And you've laid them on Him we call our Savior, our Lord Jesus. But, oh God, it is not enough for us to know that good news. It is simply not enough. Teach us this morning through Holy Scripture. We will listen to you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Do you realize that this morning in this worshiping community, I mean right here, right now, there are four generations right here. And you're, you're part of one of those generations. We have the GI generation here today. That would be those born in the 20s and 30s. We have the baby boomer generation here, those born in the 40s and 50s. We've got the Gen X generation here, those born in the 60s and 70s. And we have the millennials here, those born in the 80s and 90s. Three, count them, three out of the four generations have already conquered a new frontier. I want you to watch the screen for a moment. We'll play uh, some archive pictures and a video clip about those frontiers. Take a look at this. You started to clap too soon. Three of the four generations here have already conquered new frontiers. In case you didn't catch it, let me remind you what those new frontiers are. The GI generation conquered inner space. They didn't get very far. You saw John Glenn write stuff. Not too far. Us baby boomers came along and then came outer space. That was Neil Armstrong talking on that first step on the moon. And then came Gen Xers and they discovered cyberspace. But there's a fourth generation left. And the question is, is there any space left to conquer for the millennials? And I'm not talking about my space. <laughs> All right? That's not what I'm talking about. All right. There is an answer. And I believe the answer for the millennials is found in a very long-ago story, at the very end of that long-ago story, there is an answer, and I want you to write it down. Please write it down. Take out your study guide that is in today's worship bulletin. Thank you, ushers, for standing, because I just know that there are people who got in here without those study guides. You didn't get a worship bulletin. Some dynamite quotes. You've got to have them. Hold your hand up. Hold your hand up. We'll get it to you. And while we're doing that, those of you who are watching on television right now, let me give you a website. Put it on the screen for you. There it is, www.pmchurch.tv. That's our website. If you go to this series that we're doing called Eternity's Edge, you're looking for the teaching today when God's last question becomes our first. 
Click on there. When you see that, you'll see the word study guide. Click study guide. You'll have the identical study guide here from the back of the balcony to the choir up front. Grab that study guide. I want you to write it down. One last frontier to conquer for God. Ready to go? Got your pen? All right. The GI generation. What did they conquer? Inner space. All right. Write it down. Inner space. The baby boomer generation. What did they conquer? Outer space. Write that down. Gen Xers. What have they helped us conquer? Cyberspace. All right. Now the millennials. Put millennials up. What are we going to put in that space, that blank space? There's another five-letter word that goes right in that blank space. There's a Bible book that ends with a question. And in that question, there is that five-letter word. Don't even try to figure it out. You won't guess it. Open your Bible instead with me, please, to the book of Jonah. A little tiny book of Jonah. That would be the Old Testament in the Minor Prophets. And while you're finding that book, I need to tell you that uh, last Sabbath, you remember in the middle of my sermon last Sabbath, I said, man, I can hardly wait till next week because we're going to share from a, the only book in the Bible that ends with a question. Hallelujah. And then I went ahead and preached the last half of the sermon. As soon as, this is in second service, as soon as the sermon is over, I went down to the front row and to sing the closing hymn, and there was a young co-ed there, and, and she leaned over to me, and she whispered, which book of the Bible is it? Well, that's the whole point of not announcing the book. You want a little sense of mystery. So I said, you'll have to come back next Sabbath and find out. To which she replied, well, since you said that, I've already been going through the Bible, and I found two books that end with a question. I said, you're kidding me. Show me. She was right. <laughs> You can't believe everything the preacher says. I'm just telling you. You just can't believe it. And so I said, well, I'm going to have to apologize next week, which is what I'm doing right now. And I'm thankful for that uh, young Andrews University student who spent the last half of my sermon not listening to it, but trying to find out if what I'd said was true. <laughs> She's right. There are two books in the Bible that end with a question, but a little bit of redemption here. Let me give you the two books, Nahum and Jonah. Here's the redemption. Both books deal with the same city, Nineveh. Keep your pen moving. Write it down. It's Jonah, however. Jonah not only ends with a question, it is packed with 13 of them in rapid-fire sequence. Boom, boom, boom. I'm going to give you all 13 right now. Hold on to your seat. Let's go. Jonah. Have you found Jonah? This would be page 623. If you didn't bring a Bible, grab the pew Bible. Page 623. Take a look at these 13 questions. Here we go. Question number one. That would be verse 6 in Jonah 1. Verse 6. I'm in the New International Version today. Now the captain went to him. That would be Jonah, the runaway prophet, asleep in the bottom of the boat. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? There it is. Question number one. How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. What's going on here, ladies and gentlemen? What's going on is we have this humongous cyclone of a storm and the boat is going down. Now, Jean-Marcel Clouzet, my friend, one of our student leaders on campus, just a few weeks ago, preached his heart out from the book of Jonah. John dealt with the first half of the book. Today, we're going to take the second half of the book. All right? How can you sleep? Question number one. By the way, I'm reading a book through right now entitled Preaching to a Shifting Culture. And in that book, there's an essay by Hayden Robinson who makes an interesting observation about sleeping, Jonah sleeping, 
I'll put it on the screen for you. Take, get a load of this. If ever, I'm quoting now, if ever there was a man who lived in direct disobedience to God, it was the prophet Jonah. God directed him to preach to the citizens of Nineveh, but he boarded a ship and sailed away from God rather than do what God had commanded him to do. During his flight, a violent storm arose that terrified the pagan sailors. But Jonah was below deck in the boat asleep. Evidently, Jonah had peace about the decision he had made. Now, hold on. Notice the contrast here. On the other hand, if ever there was someone who was doing God's will, it was Jesus going to the cross. Yet in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was in anguish. He didn't sleep. His sweat was like drops of blood falling to the earth. And here comes his punchline. Peace is not evidence we have made a godly decision. End quote. Ooh. You want to have peace making the godly decision for your life? You just hang on to this story. That information will come to you. Okay, here comes... Question number two, question number three, question number four, question number five, question number six. They're all in one verse, verse eight. Drop down to verse eight. So they, that would be the pagan sailors up top, top side. Jonah has just stumbled up there. By the way, they just cast lots and it's landed on Jonah. You're the cause of this. And so verse eight, they asked him, tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. What do you do? Where'd you come from? What is your country? For what people are you? Just like a prosecuting attorney. Boom, 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 boom. You must be bad to get the gods this mad. And Jonah, calmly as that boat pitches and heaves, Jonah calmly says, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Most High God who made all of this in the first place. And now here comes question number seven. What verse is this? That'd be uh, verse 10. This terrified them when they heard about it, worshiping the Creator God. And they asked, here comes question number seven. What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. Now, here comes question number 8, verse 11. And the sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to make the sea calm down for us? You know, when you're running like Jonah from a guilty conscience, you're going to come to that moment, or else it will drive you to either drink or despair, you're going to come to that moment when you're going to have to have a mea culpa. That's Latin for my fault. That boat, that little piece of, of Phoenician driftwood shoots to the heavens and as it drops into that uh, canyon of water, Jonah offers a, a mea culpa. That'd be uh, verse 12. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know, here it comes, I know that it is my fault. Latin, mea culpa. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. It is my fault. How many of our relationships, how many of our marriages could be saved if we just had the honest courage to say, it is my fault. How much heartache I could spare if this boy here would live a little more often with those words on his lips, on my lips. I'm sorry. It is my fault. Well, men aren't going to throw him in. Verse 13, instead the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not for the sea grew even wilder than before. The, the, uh, the sails are tattered now. Then verse 14, they cried to the Lord, O Lord, they just met this God, they just, thanks to Jonah, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Uh, then we're going to have to do it. Verse 15, they took Jonah and they threw him overboard and the raging, boom, that raging sea grew calm. Miraculous. 
And look what happens. At this, verse 16, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows to Him. I accept you now as the God in the universe. Just got saved, a whole boat full of pagan sailors. And what's happening to Jonah? Oh, that would be verse 17. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Now, what follows in chapter 2 is not a single question. Not one question in chapter 2. Just one very long confession. And I want you to go to the very end of his confession because it's the theme verse of the entire book. Go to chapter 2, drop down to the very end, verse 9. By the way, verse 5 tells us that Jonah has seaweed wrapped, kelp wrapped around his head as he is praying this confession. I don't know about you, but I don't think that would be a very pleasant environment in which to go on my knees before God. Jonah does. And this is verse 9. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed, I know I used to sing that hymn in church. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. I'll do what you want me to do. What I have vowed, dear God, I will make good. And now here comes the punchline. For salvation comes from the Lord. Hallelujah. That's the theme of Jonah. Salvation comes from the Lord. The pagans discovered that truth. Jonah just now confesses that truth. And as we know, an entire city will embrace that truth. Come on. What? greater truth is there in the universe than that one? Is there a greater truth? Do you know? We have heard a joyful sound. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Spread the glad news all around. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Hallelujah. You know what? You can't run too far. You can't sink too deep. But God is going to find you. God is going to save you. You know, centuries ago, somebody wrote a, a metaphor about God called the hound of heaven. I, I think on the basis of Jonah, we got a better metaphor. God is the whale of heaven. He will never let you drown. They may throw you out of the church. They may throw you out of the school. They may throw you out of the job. They may throw you out of your marriage. They may throw you out. But when you get thrown out, the whale of heaven will be right there to keep you from drowning. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. Well, we're now ready for question number nine. But first, we've got to get Jonah out of that whale. We have a pet dog named Sadie Hawkins. Yeah, serious. And because we got her on February 29th. And i tell you what, Sadie can throw us into an adrenaline rush in a split second every time she begins to vomit. I don't know if you have a... Do you have a dog at home? I think all dogs have the same sound when they vomit, don't they? I mean, you go... And it gets higher and higher and you just know it's coming up. And boy, when we hear that, we can be sound asleep. Boom, we're both up. To the bathroom tile, out the door. I, I know what a dog sounds like when it vomits. I cannot imagine what a whale would sound like. Can you? <laughs> Woo. But it sounds like God is the God of second chances. Hallelujah. Look at this, guys. This would be verse 10 of uh, Jonah chapter 2. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it, it vomited. That, you know, that fish had no manners. That is so noisy to do. It vomited Jonah 
on the dry land. Hallelujah. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Mark it down, ladies and gentlemen. He is the God of second chances. Don't you ever give up. Don't you ever, ever, ever give up because God has not given up on you. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to that great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. And hallelujah, verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. He got, I got the point. I got it. I got it. And he went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days, verse 4. And on the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. And guess what happened, verse 5. The Ninevites believed. Can you believe this? The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And now comes question 9. A royal decree commanding that citywide fast. And in that royal decree is verse 9. And the king asks the question, Who knows? Question number 9. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from His fierce anger so that we will not perish. And oh, thank God there is verse 10. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, He had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction He had threatened. Isn't that great? Apparently, guys, apparently God can save an entire city. No matter how wicked that city is. And by the way, it was wicked, wickedest of the wickeds. And that's precisely why Jonah did not want to be sent. God saves Nineveh. And Jonah is so happy. Chapter 4, verse 1. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. Here comes question number 10. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? Question 10. That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Question number 11, verse 4. God comes right back at him, but the Lord replied, Have you any right, boy? Have you any right to be angry? Jonah storms off in a huff and a puff, and he finds a spot on a little hill overlooking Nineveh, still hoping that there's going to be a spectacular divine pyrotechnics show, i.e., fire still going to come from heaven. But all he gets is a little vine from God that grew up over his head and created some blessed shade from the blazing sun. All he gets the next morning is a little worm, also from God, that ate the vine that grew over the head, and the vine shrivels, and now that fiery ball just burns red into that scalp. And pouty Jonah begs to die. He's so mad. Question 12. Here it comes. This would be verse 9. God said to Jonah, Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here it is. Question number 13. A single question with the profound portrait of God who loves the ugliest of the ugly, the worst of the worst, the meanest of the mean. God speaks now. Verse 10, But the Lord said, Hey, boy, you've been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. 
It sprang up overnight and died overnight. Verse 11, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? The end. That's all he wrote. But that's enough. For has not the time come in history when God's last question should become our first question? Write it down. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Keep your pen moving. It's not going to stop for a while. Do you know that one week ago today, last week at this time, no, not at this time, 7.19 in the evening, one week ago today, According to the U.S. Census Bureau, jot this down, the world's population turned to 6.5 billion human beings a week ago today. Keep your pen moving. It is now estimated that 47% of Earth's inhabitants live in a city, not a suburb, not a town, not a little village like this, not out in the country. 47% of earth is in a city, which, inner city, which, by the way, means, jot this number, you have a few zeros to write here, 3 billion, 55 million people on earth are urban dwellers. They live only in a city. In fact, earth cities have become so large that they are now being called, write this down, agglomerations. Aggregate and conglomeration, just put it all together. What is an agglomeration? An agglomeration is defined as contiguous spreads of inhabited buildings and streets. There's a website. Check it out. That word was new to me just this last week. I'm going to now give to you. Here they are. We're not going to write them down. Take a look at this. The top ten agglomerations on earth. And number one is the city I was born in, Tokyo, Japan, 34,200,000. Number two, Mexico City, 22 million 800,000. Number three, Seoul, Korea, 22,300,000. Look at this. Number four, New York City, 21,900,000. Number five, Sao Paulo, Brazil, 20,200,000. Number six, Bombay, also known as Mumbai, 19,850,000. Also in India, number seven, Delhi, 19,700,000. Number eight, Shanghai, China, 18,150,000. Number nine, Los Angeles, the city of angels, 18 million. And finally, again from Japan, number 10, Osaka, 16,800,000 people. Grand total, you need to write this down. Grand total for the top 10 agglomerations on earth, 355,650,000. And by the way, when you add the next 10, that would be the top 20, the total jumps to just short of a half a billion people living downtown in cities. And by the way, that's just the top 20. In fact, keep your pen moving. There are now estimated to be 438 agglomeration cities with one million or more inhabitants. Have mercy. If the cry of God that ends the book of Jonah were only for one city, it was only for one city, can you imagine the depth of the divine cry today? Do you know, do, do you want to know, do you want to know how God really feels about cities? Jot this down in your study guide. Luke chapter 19, verse 41. As Jesus came near and saw the city, he wept. He wept over it. 
There are only two places in the Gospel record where it describes Jesus as weeping. Once He wept over a dead friend and once He wept over a lost city. I remember hearing a Baptist preacher turned professor. His name, Robert Logan. I'll never forget this sentence as long as I live. I want you to have it too. He said, we need to come to the place where what breaks the heart of God breaks our hearts too. Jesus saw the city and He wept. What do you and I do? Oh, thank God we live in a village. Thank God the inner city is someone else's problem, not mine. Thank God it's none of my business. Are you crazy? None of your business. That is precisely Jonah's attitude. And that's why he about got lost. It is your business. Jonah says, who cares? Who cares? Do you care? Do I care? A hundred years ago, there was a woman who also had a heart that broke for the cities. I have these words and more scribbled all over my pages of Jonah. I wanted you to have them so you have them in the study guide. Take a look at What she wrote, work the cities without delay, for time is short. That was a century ago. At such a time as this, every hand is to be employed in the cities. Now, the the emphasis here is mine. The burden of the needs of our cities has rested so heavily upon me that it has sometimes seemed that I should die. Have you ever felt, I'm going to die because of that city. It's not reached for Christ. I never felt that way in my life. The burden of those cities is so heavy on me. I've sometimes felt I was going to die. Wow. Here's another one. Wake up. Wake up and enter the fields in America that have never been worked. There's a work to be done in foreign fields. And I want to say this. I realize we have over 90 nations represented in Pioneer and at Andrews University. And God knows you have challenges there. But I tell you what, we need to see this sentence as well in America. There's a work to be done in foreign fields. But there is a work to be done in America that is just as important. The missiology uh, department wants to cast our eyes over the seas. We do need that vision over there. But we cannot forget the cities here at home. Just as important. Now, go on. There's more to that, isn't there? Yeah. In the cities of America, there are people of almost every, every language. Do you know how many languages are in Chicago? Do you know how many nations are represented in the Windy City just around the corner of the lake? These need the light that God has given to His church. Wow. I have a book in my library written by John, <clears throat> excuse me, John Dawson. Title of the book, Taking Our Cities for God. I've read it through three times, and I know I'm going to read it a fourth time. In that marvelous, stirring book, Dawson has written these words, and you have them there in the study guide. The emergence of a worldwide urban culture, I like that, is setting the stage for the world's first truly global awakening. From China to Brazil, cities are becoming more and more uniform in culture. Entertainment in the form of movies, rock music, and television is discipling the youth of the world into a universal urban culture. English as a second language is spoken by the elite of most world-class cities, thus creating the potential for the rapid spread of a product or an idea, end quote. You know, when I read that, it suddenly hit me. Wait, time out, Dwight. Hold it. Do you understand That all because of these agglomeration cities, God has actually set up His everlasting gospel for success. Success today. Why? Because we have mass communications now. We have the English language that's spoken almost the whole world over. And number three, we have this global urban culture. You can go dress like this into any city on earth and you look like just one of the boys, one of the girls. You don't have to change your uniform now. It's the same culture 
in the world cities. God has set us up for success. But, Dawson says, these are urgent times. And let me read, these are his words again. More than half, listen to this, more than half the people who have ever lived are now alive. If we don't have an awakening in this generation, more people will go to an eternity without Christ than in all the past generations put together. Wow. I can't see God allowing that to happen, he writes. Business as usual is not good enough. There is not enough time, end quote. Which is why, my dear people, it is high time to make God's last question our first question. Should I not be concerned about that great city? And I was just saying, they're saying, oh, Pastor, come on, please. There's no way. I can't move to Tokyo. I can't move to Moscow. I can't, I, I can't show up in Bombay. I'm stuck here in Berrien Springs. Well, so am I. But there are two things we can do. Jot these down in closing. Two, two strategies for us who live right here, right now. Strategy number one, begin with a city closest to you. Twelve miles up this road, we have, according to the Wall Street Journal, the second most depressed inner city per capita in the United States. Twelve miles away. It's called Benton Harbor. If God's heart breaks for that city, shouldn't our hearts break too? If God's messenger could exclaim that the burden of the needs of the city are so great, it's, it has sometimes seemed that I should die. Can't we let the same spirit of Jesus bring that passion to us as well? It's time to fill in that last blank. That one that we left blank at the beginning. Fill it in. It's true. Five letter word. Here it comes. It's true, the GI generation conquered inner space, and the baby boomers conquered outer space. Gener generation X has conquered cyberspace, but what about the millennial generation? Urban space. Write it down. Urban space. It is the greatest and most monumental challenge that faces Christianity along with our particular community of faith today. Listen to me carefully. We do fine in the villages. We do great in the towns. We're perfect out in the country where there's hardly anybody. We're so-so in the suburbs. But I'll tell you what, we are an abysmal failure in the cities of earth. There is one frontier left for this generation. That's the unconquered frontier, and you're it. God has picked you because we have got to go where we have never gone before. Is that Star Trek? Go where we have never gone before. Your generation, and we'll help you. Your generation must conquer another frontier. Not, we don't need to go to Mars. We've got to go to Madrid, Minneapolis, Moscow, Melbourne. We've got to go. Unconquered cities, the agglomerations of earth, unconquered for Christ. And His kingdom, which is why, which is why I'm, I'm absolutely unabashed. I, I believe God has raised you up, millennials. He has raised you up for this final frontier to conquer. I don't care what your major is. I don't care what your career is going to be. Take that career to a city, please. Don't live it in a country. Take it to a city. Don't live it in a village. Take it to a city and let God set you ablaze downtown for the kingdom of Christ.
Begin now. It's not too early. Start dreaming of a city on earth. You know what you can do? You can go to your knees when you pray now at night before you go to bed. When you, first, when you get up in the morning and you're having your private worship, you can be adding to your prayers, God, there is a city on earth that you have designed me for. Before I finish Andrews University, show me that city. I will go. I will fulfill my vow. I will go to that city for you. It might be here in this country. It might be across one of two oceans. It might be who knows where. But you begin to ask God, God, show me that city. Give me that place. Tell me, impress me. One day I'll know this is it. This is where I must go for Christ. The new missionaries of the third millennium. There they are. The new missionaries of the third millennium. There it is. The cities. The last unconquered frontier. I tell you what. The strategy is begin with the city closest to you. We desperately need you in Benton Harbor. 150 of our Andrews students are going to get on the buses this afternoon. But you know what? There is way more to do than 100 for 150 students. 3 o'clock this afternoon, those buses will line up in front of Lampson Hall. We need you. We need you so bad. But we not only need students up there, we need community members up there. We have just, you might have forgotten, planted a fledgling little church called the New Plant Church in the inner city of Benton Harbor, 12 miles away. We desperately need help with that church plant. In fact, let me share this with you. I got this email a few days ago. from one. This is from one of our young adult mothers, all right? She comes here. Every church sits right there. Every church. First church. With her little two little boys and her husband. And as soon as first church is over, they're in a car and they're driving up. They're driving up to Benton Harbor where she will spend the rest of the day in that little church plant. A young adult, Gen Xer. She sent me this email. Pastor Dwight, we really, really need help. Her name is Becky Vonderpowski. As you may know, there are 10 to 15 people trying to run new plant. Maybe you can share with people that there are very simple things they can do. We aren't asking for a big commitment. Even if they could commit to one Sabbath a month as a student, yeah, just one Sabbath a month, it would be great because then the people that are there every week could have a break. Even if people are scared to interact with kids, that's okay. If all they can do is wash dishes and clean up, we'd, do all, we'd love to have them and do the rest. If we had a few extra hands to sit with kids in church and Sabbath school, help prepare food, we could have a point person who they could come to and that person could tell them what to do. It's terrible to admit. Now listen to this. She's opening up her heart. It's terrible to admit, but sometimes I dread the Sabbath. I dread it. Because I know that I'm going to be working from 10 to 3 after she's worshipped here. And then to have the kids from the church come over to our house, it's almost overwhelming. I think that we are burning out the few new plant people that we have. I see so much good in these kids at New Plant. We just need extra hands to love them. Once you get involved in New Plant, you'll realize that this is probably the greatest service you will ever do for the Lord. Anyway, just my thoughts that I thought I'd share. I read that the first time and just tears sprang to my eyes. Here's a woman, a young adult, working herself to the nub. Because God has broken her heart for a city. She needs help, guys. We need help up there bad. Sabbath afternoons, what are you going to do, sleep? We need you at 3 o'clock. We need those buses. We can get more buses. Don't worry about that. we got to have help. Should I not be concerned over that city? In fact, I, I, I put the address. Do you see that? I put the address on our study guide. It's right there, the, the address to the New Plant Church. In fact, if you reach inside your bulletin, I think in the bulletin you got today, you're going to see something that looks like this. Uh, 1,113 different ways to help in Benton Harbor. Turn it over. You've got a map. Everything's there. The address, the map, everything. Just go up one Sabbath. Please go up just one Sabbath. Go up one Sabbath and see for yourself. 
See for yourself. See if God doesn't tug at your heart. All right, two, I'll sit down with the second strategy. Here it is. They're just two simple strategies. Go to the uh, beginning of the city closest to you. And finally, strategy number two, give for the cities all around you. All around you. Thanks to mass communication and television and radio and the Internet, Pioneer is now potentially touching nearly every city on earth through the three satellite networks that carry our worship services. Plus, there are 90 dear people, and I call them our TV pioneers right here, who every single week are giving $10 a week in order to reach 1.75 million viewers right here in the Michiana area. And I thank God for them. But you know what, folks? Michiana is not enough. With the, with the world's cities on our hearts, including Chicago, weighing heavy on my own, I must appeal to you today in the name of Jesus Christ. Please help us financially. We need it. Our church meeting and business session just last month voted. The Evangelism Council came in with the most aggressive evangelism budget in the history of this church. $150,000 for, for this very year. But that's not only... for. 150,000 for the master plan. There's another 50,000 that this, these pioneers are raising, plus another 50,000 from some gifts to hire someone onto our staff. It's a $250,000 a year budget. You say, oh, come on, Dwight. Come on, Pastor. I'm not going to do that. I want to tell you something. I got some very good news for you. It's, it's simple. Inside your, inside your bulletin, you'll find a little, a little card that looks like this, reaching the cities. Would you pull this card out? You are going to be amazed how simple it is. We can do it together. Watch this. Do you know what? If you would give just $1 a day, one measly little dollar a day, that's less than a pizza a week. That's less than two rental DVDs a week. That's less than three gallons of gas a week. Just $1 a day. If we each, everybody here, would give $1 a day, he said, what am I supposed to do with it? Well, when you come here, just pull a tithe envelope out, drop down to line 5. It says MPE, Master Plan of Evangelism. You just write in the $1 a day amount, whatever it is, however often you want to fill it out during, during a month. $1 a day. All of us here, we could reach every city on earth for the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, we couldn't all go. We can't all go. But we could go right from here. $1 a day. I want to appeal to you. If you're a student, say, come on. You know how tight my finances are? I know how tight your finances are. I know. And I'm not going to be in your face over this. Forget it. You know, 50 cents a day. No, for you, 40 cents. No, just a dollar a day. Just a dollar a day. You say, Dwight, there's no way I could do it. Okay, a dollar every other day. Some of you are saying, oh, we, got, we got a note in seconds or several notes. Say, oh, Pastor, we're already doing way more than this. Oh, hallelujah. Don't drop it down to a dollar a day. Please. Don't drop it down. For you, add a dollar a day. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to add. Just add a dollar a day to whatever it is you're doing right now. One dollar. If we all added one dollar a day. Ladies and gentlemen, we could do it. We can do it together. The cities of earth. I've got to tell you this. I didn't know this was happening. But the, our, our little Sabbath schools are, what, what is this? Pre-primary Sabbath schools. Unbeknownst to me, we're taking up an offering for Benton Harbor. I just found out about it like three or four days ago. And they said, oh, Pastor, could we come and bring that money to you? And so they came in first service, and then some kids came up, and they brought their money for Benton Harbor. One little boy, get this, one little boy. They've been, they've been paying the kids. This is a novel idea. They're paying the kids to learn their memory verses. I like it. It's very creative. Entrepreneurial. Because the Lord will bring it back to you. 
It's not all their memory verses. It's just Psalm 23. We'll give you a dollar. We'll give you a dollar if you memorize Psalm 23. They said to all these little... This is preschool. All these little kids, we'll give you a dollar. One little boy perfectly recited Psalm 23. They gave him a dollar. And you know what he did? He walked right over to that Benton Harbor little bucket and he gave his dollar to Benton Harbor. Come on. Where are the kids? Where's little Ruth Burns? Where's Matthew Beckwith? Where's teacher Gabriella? Are you here? Gabriella? Hey, teacher. I see Ruth. Come on, Ruth. Come on, Matthew. You go, my man. Bless your heart. You're representing all these Sabbath schools. Hallelujah. You stay right here. Ruth. Ruth. Guys, you're not going to come. Thank you very much, Matthew. I'm so proud of you. I am so proud of you because you know what? Because you care enough. And I, I, I can tell this is a lot of money. And because you care, Jesus is going to use your money. You know what he's going to do? He's going to multiply it a thousand times. Just because you were willing to love his cities with him. God bless you, Matthew. Sure do love you, my man. God be with you. Thank you, Matthew, and all the children that are represented like Matthew. Hallelujah. Some of you, some of you are saying, hey, come on, Pastor, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? You want to know what's in it for you? Take a look at that picture of the cross. Take a look at Jesus hanging on the cross. From the dying lips of God comes the question, should I not be concerned with that city? You know how much, you know what's in it for you? It's salvation. Because, oh, we got more coming. Thank you, Dick. Good to have you. This is a different Sabbath school class. Pre-primary truth. Is this Caleb? Caleb, my man, thank you. Very, are you serious? This is, man, oh man. Is this from Sabbath school class? We're not supposed to keep the box, are we? But the offering is inside? Oh, Caleb. What's this in a box? For God's church in Benton Harbor. Praise God. How about Caleb? Everybody giving you a big thank you to for being so unselfish for Jesus. Thank you, Dick Mackey. $111. our little children gave to Benton Harbor. Praise God. Thank you. Bless you, bless you, bless you. You know what? God is going to... Caleb, thank you. If you want to be a preacher, Caleb, you stay right up here with me. Because I'm about ready to sit down. Bless your heart. Thank you. You know what? Jonah cried out from the belly of the whale, Salvation comes from the Lord. That's the truth. And by the way, the salvation will only come to you if you allow it to go through you. Jonah would be lost. He would have been lost if he had not turned around and gone to Nineveh, that city. Because he turned around, he got saved. What's in it for you? Oh, mercy, salvation. But there's something else. And Kim, I want you to come on up here and I want Ian to come up here. I want you guys to sing a song because you know what else is in it? I want you to imagine going to heaven. Kim is going to sing this very picture. I want you to imagine going to heaven and one day a boy calling up to you and say, Hey, were you the one that gave? Were you the one that came on Sabbath afternoons? Were you the one that volunteered at New Plant Church? That little Benton Harbor boy says to you, I want to tell you something. I am in heaven today. I made it from Benton Harbor to heaven because you cared enough to come. I want to tell you, when you get that thank you guys, trust me, when you get that thank you, you will have received the greatest reward eternity will bring. The joy of seeing other people in eternity because you cared. Kim's going to sing that song. I want you to be thinking, 
in fact, what I want you to be doing right now, don't start singing yet, Kim. I need you to fill this out right now, please. We're going to, cut, we're going to pick these up right now. If this isn't rocket science. This doesn't take time. You just put your name on there, please, will you? Your name and check that little box. Dwight, I can help with a dollar a day. For Pete's sake, what's a dollar a day? I can give it. I'll put it in the tithe envelope. I'll mark it on line five. Master plan of evangelism. I'll give a dollar a day. $30 a month. Count me in. I have it. I have it for Jesus. I want God to love His cities through me. I want to hear that thank you one day. I want to see that boy come up and say, it's because you gave that I'm here. Would you take a moment right now while Kim is singing? Put your email address on there too, would you? If you put your email address on there, I'll make this promise to you. I'll send you a personal email every single month. And I'll tell you what's happening in the cities of the world, and in particular Benton Arbor. I'll send you an email, and I'll tell you stories we'll never tell here. I want you to share God's love for the cities with me. Jot it down. Fill it out. If everybody here fills out one card, just one, one for two for a couple, three for a family of three, if everyone here fills out one card, Jesus can love these cities through you and me. Oh, Jesus, that will... Heaven will be cheap enough to hear you say thank you. We should be thanking you that you would ever thank us. <laughs> but, oh Christ, whatever you want, everything we have is yours. It all came from you. It's going back to you. Take our little dollar bills, a dollar a day. Oh, Christ, please multiply this. The children have led us today. What breaks your heart breaks our hearts. You don't sleep at night. We do. But we want to help. The cities, oh, Jesus. I want to pray for these millennials before I say amen. You have a city for him. You've already picked out a city for her. Send the word. Let them hear while they're here. And then send them from us. The new missionary generation to conquer the last frontier for the kingdom. When that frontier is conquered, it's over. We don't need Mars. It's the cities we need. Oh God, tell her, teach him what it is. And use us right now with the city that's closest to us. Oh, to get that thank you in heaven. It'll be worth it all. Thank you, Jesus. No, 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 no. We thank you for saving us. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.